Welcome to The Mystic and the Skeptic, the show that asks the tough questions and explores different alternatives to today's pressing issues, theories, or enigmas. Join us in an exploration of the mystic skeptic mind space. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, so we're doing pretty much um, live coverage of the results of the primary for both Democrats and Republicans. So in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, who was running for office that uh, you were supporting? Me personally? Okay, I've decided to, uh, I haven't decided about governor yet, I, but for senator, I'll probably, I'm going to I'm going to vote for Phil Bradis, former mayor, my former former mayor and governor of Tennessee. He is a moderate Democrat, and I think he has a chance of winning. And I think he'd be very independent-minded, and you know, he'd be kind of a middle, he'd be a kind of a moderate, moderate Democrat. And I think uh, he could win, and that's one reason I'm supporting him. So, we are speaking in the future, is is the primary over, or is it? Um... No, it's not till August. He has some minor ca- opponents in his primary, but he is the front runner. And over in the Republican primary, Marsha Blackburn is a congresswoman, a conser- very conservative pro-Trump Republican. And she, uh, in fact, uh, Trump is supposedly coming, I believe he's coming tomorrow to campaign for her. He's been here a couple of times. She's a very loyal Trump supporter. And the the races, they, she will be the Republican nominee, like Bredesen will be the Democratic nominee. There are some other candidates, but they're all fairly minor compared to these two. They, the race is basically right now between Bredesen and Blackburn. Okay, here in Houston, where I live, where we're recording the show, we ha- had a runoff uh, election, a primary, and today... today um, I voted for that one, so I'm trying to find the results. Uh, we're pre-recording the show the day before it airs, so today is Tuesday, um, May 22nd. It's going to be on uh, on May 23rd, and it's uh, 10 o'clock, and I'm looking for the results for our primary, and nothing's come up. Uh, the stuff that is available is uh, Georgia, Kentucky, and Arkansas. Yes, and there is a there is a... A runoff in another southern state, Alabama. I believe that's on May fifth. It's coming up real fast. To, you know, a primary runoff. The two Democratic and Republican primaries. It's going to be the Democratic and Republican runoffs, and uh, it's um, it's going to be between Marsha Blackburn, the Republican, and Phil Bredesen. Uh, that will they, they'll have the they'll have the, in Tennessee. The primary isn't until August. Unless I'm badly mistaken, the, the front runners for senator will be Phil Bredesen and versus Marsha Blackburn. Well, I just found out, um, according to the Texas Tribune, uh, Lizzie Panel Fletcher uh, defeats Laura Moser in the Texas Democratic primary runoff. Uh, so I want to talk to you about that one particular case. My friend, who was a guest on the show, was uh, canvassing for. Lara Moser, and as I was getting a little annoyed that they were giving us too many flyers about that particular uh, candidate, I go online and find out more about her. Uh, she's She was a reporter, and it, it just happens that they did the same thing to Laura Moser, the DNC, the, the leadership of the Democratic Party, that they did with Bernie Sanders. They didn't like her progressive stance on a lot of issues. 
So they came all the way from Washington to Texas to discredit her, and then it worked. People ended up voting for the other candidate. Well, now, this could happen in a race in that in, a, in the Democratic state primary in Tennessee. There is a candidate running, very interesting man named Jason Gnu. Uh, he, he moved here from California a few years ago. He's a very nice guy, and he's running for Congress. And there's a there's a veteran who is just uh, will be discharged from the military in just a few days, and he's also running. There is a fourth. His name is Poole. There is a fourth, the third candidate running, but I don't know much about him. But there's uh, some some talk that the party establishment wants this other guy. They don't want Jason's Gnu. I like Jason. He's a nice guy, and he's campaigned hard. He's been campaigning for about almost a year, but, you know, he really is not known in Tennessee. He's a nice guy. People generally, the medium tend to like him, but I don't know. I would say he would probably be the more left or center of the two candidates, and the other man is more of a centrist, although not a real hardcore, you know, definitely not on the right. He's more of a centrist from a, a centrist Democrat, and they're, they're going to, there'll be a primary you know, that's who the main ones are. There's another candidate running, but I don't know much about him. You know, the other man is from Centerville, Tennessee, and Jason is from uh, near Nashville, Fairview, that, in that area. So I hate to say this, but is it almost like a mafia-type environment where if you don't um, do certain things or if you don't believe certain, um, like, from the Democratic Party... Are they thinking strategically, like, we don't want to support someone who we know is not going to get elected? Or are they just supporting their friends and people who tow the, the party line and who are going to keep pushing the same type of agenda? I, that that might be, because I, don't, I said I don't want to say as much about the gentleman from Centerville, but I do think, you know... The district that I'm in, the district where, by the way, the farm is in, is sort of a, you know, it, it's very gerrymandered, and it's going to go, it's very likely going to go, and I can't think of his name, go to a Republican nominee who's running unopposed. But those two men are, I'm glad that two men are seeking the Democratic nomination, or, or a woman if there was one. Uh but it's going to be a it's going to be a long shot for either you know for either one of them it's going to be a very long shot because this district these di the districts in Tennessee have been very chairman you know gerrymandered and that's going to make it very easy for the Republicans to elect a lot of that's that's something that's got to be done about you know and that's something we've got to do something about eventually I don't know what probably reform the law in some way you know how they form congressional districts, you know, and the Republicans control the legislature and, you know, they're trying to keep them where they'll all be Republican, as many of them as Republican as they can be. You know how that is. Well, somebody was mentioning that they've been able to separate the Republicans from Trump. And even though people are disappointed with Trump, they, the Republicans are still uh, gaining headway. Well, I, I hope so. Trump is trying to really, I think he really wants to elect Marsha Blackburn to the U.S. Senate. It's going to be a tough battle because Phil Bredesen was a very 
fairly popular governor. And the last time he ran for governor, and he won, of course, against a token Republican, he carried every county in Tennessee. And this could be, this race, as I've been told, is very tight. You know, and it's a very tight race. And I think the Republicans are going to throw a lot of money behind Blackburn. And I think the Democratic Party will try to unite behind Bredesen. You know what I mean? Well, you mentioned money, and that's something that I asked the the person canvassing for Laura Moser, is that uh, can a regular person run for office and actually get elected? Or do you have to have big financial backing and pretty much sell yourself to corporations with the way that things work now with advertising? You you have to have... You have to have financial backing. I, I, I'm afraid. I will give Jason Canoe credit. He has raised quite a bit of money for an outsider to run uh, in the, the year he's been campaigning, and he's also picked up some Democratic, you know, Democratic officials from around the district. It's going to be, he's the one I'm, 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 par I'm partial to, but uh, I know the other man You know, he used to be worked for Lincoln Davis, former congressman, who was defeated by a real right winger. And I'm I'm sure this man can get a hold of some money too. But I know he can. But it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle because I tell you, there's there's two districts that I consider safely Democratic right now, and that is Memphis Ninth, Memphis the Ninth District, and uh, the Ninth District of Memphis. And, The fifth district of uh, the fifth district of you know that's the Nashville area. It's uh, Democrats have a lot of work to do in Tennessee if they're going to build up the party again. They've got to. There's some enthusiasm. There's some. There are Democrats that really want to do it, both in the center and what's what what we could be called the left, but they are mostly in the center. But it's going to be it's going to be awfully hard. They're going to have to work awfully hard. That's all I can say. <laughs> and you know, for for us, for him, I certainly hope to see that. I'd like to see the Democrats get some more legislative candidates. But that's we have some hope for some gaining a few more legislative seats, and that's what I'm hoping. The Democrats over the years have just taken a a real. You know, they've taken some real whippings in the last few years. That's all I can say. It's gotten... The Republicans have worked on the state level to take as many of the House seats back as as they can for the Senate and for the House. It's going to be very hard. I, my hope is the Democrats will get some seats. But that's a hope. I personally am supporting a candidate for the legislature And I am going to support whoever gets, personally, the Democratic nomination for Congress. It's going to be a long shot, either Mr. Canoe or the other gentleman. Or, and I am going to support Phil Bredesen because I just think we need... Bredesen, uh, Trump, Trump scares me. You know, I think, I don't think he should, I think he needs some more Democrats in the Senate and our House to help check him. He's a very to me. He's a scary dude, you know. But, you know, when when Obama got elected, uh, a lot of us were hoping that the world was turning, that people were becoming more progressive, more uh, open-minded, more 
multicultural and international. And now with this backlash with Trump, it seems like even with Trump doing all kinds of wicked deeds and hateful stuff, the the Republicans are still gaining ground, and they're and people are still voting in this like nativist kind of scared of of change uh, thing. So, well, I think there is a lot of fear. I think Obama once called it very wisely when he said, talking about a part of Pennsylvania, said people cling to God in their guns, and that's those are big issues for them. Even though, to be honest about it. Nobody's after their guns. People are concerned about the violence that's taking place. I mean, it's incredible. Every day or two, you turn on and there's a shooting going on in schools. But, you know, I don't know. Do you know any politicians that have said they'd like to outlaw guns? I don't either. You know, they, they, they've got an issue and they played that issue very heavily. You know, I, I hear it and I hear people say they're coming to get our guns. and I, I got into it with one guy, you know, this has been going on the, mo- the most since the tragic shooting down in South Carolina, President Obama said something. And you know what? The first comment I heard about it was Obama's wants to take our guns. I got so mad at this one guy. I said, sir, if you feel that way, go buy you 50 boxes of ammo and stick it in some more guns and stick them under your bed and you'll sleep better. I mean, I just got, I was upset with him, but. You know, there is that fear. And I don't know why it is, because Obama really didn't even want to talk about guns very much until he just, you know, until Connecticut and Charleston happened, and it's been getting worse ever since. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't get it. Um, you know, we just had the the school shooting about 30 miles from where I live in Santa Fe, oh, Texas, and... You know, there were legal guns that came from the, the father of the suspect. And there is something about, like, we need to look at the motives and the devaluing of life as well as how easily accessible uh, these weapons are. So, and, and it's just, um, you know, the Pope used to call it the culture of death when um, they were mostly talking about abortion, but... There's this idea that people's lives are not um, important, and that people—I uh, don't know if it's like a, an effect of movies or glamorizing criminals—but now any uh, young man who wants to make a name for himself, he'll go c- commit a massacre to to try to get some type of street cred or to be made make themselves famous, and it's uh it's disgusting. Um, but it has absolutely nothing to do with people who hunt or people who collect guns. It has to do with people who are irresponsible with their weapons. Um, and it's kind of like a lot of other things. Like the more illegal you make uh, owning certain weapons, the more people are going to want to buy them and, and have them in a non-official way or in a black market way. So... I would take more of a Martin Luther King approach where we need to change minds and hearts instead of legislate people to oblivion because... Well, I don't know what kind of laws you're, you would could pass because, frankly, I I think the power of the gun lobby in this country 
is so strong that I doubt if much is going to be passed. I mean, it is extremely strong. And, you know, the, you know, people, I know people there's, you know, like, who is it? Gabby Giffords and her husband have spoken a lot. I respect them for it. And, you know, I know people have had tried to make guns a little more difficult for, as I said, I'm not, I'm not against people owning guns, but I am very concerned about one thing I think we have to face is the mental illness problem. I think there's a lot more mental illness in this country than we realized for a long time. It's just coming to a head. We're, we're in a, you know, let's face it. We, we've been involved in how many wars have we been involved in all over the world? And it seems like, you know, this is how we solve problems with war. You know, the first thing I'm, it, I'm worried about this business in Korea right now. That is, uh, you know, that that was one that scares the fire out of me. But, you know, and then there's been other, you know, uh, I don't know how we can solve the problem in the Middle East is not going to be solved with guns, although some people think it is. You know, both those are just two places, but it's scary. It's a, I think we've become more of a violent society again. People are scared to death. They don't know. I think there's a lot of insecurity in this world about the way the world is. I get stuff on the internet from people I know, both, you know, and said, firstly, my father, when I was a little boy, ran a, was, me and my uncle were in a hardware store. He sold guns, mostly shotguns and rifles, but there's a lot of fear, just a lot of fear of guns. You know, a lot of fear. I don't think any, you know, I was talking to one of my brothers and, you know, I think they've just gone overboard on this, you know, as far as... Go- now, the only person that's done it, well, Hillary Clinton talked about it, but she used it more against Bernie Sanders than anybody. You remember that? And I thought that was silly of her, but she did. Um, but uh, I just don't think... You know, that is a fear. And there's a certain group, they'll, they just are hardcore, and they're going to vote... And even a, and they don't trust any Democrat. Lincoln Davis, um, the man who was the last Democrat we had, was endorsed by the NRA. And, well, they had re- redrawn up the district, but he got defeated, too. It didn't help him, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. And uh, But there is a, you know, to me, it's a tragic thing. It's, just, it's, it's tragic that that's, you know, this country has a lot of problems, and a lot of things we need to deal with. And I've, I've had these people say that they're trying to get our guns. They're trying to get our guns. And I hear this stuff all the time. You know. Well, I'm going to have to challenge you on, on something you said. Um, you started off talking about mental illness, and then you went on to war. And we had a representative from NAMI, the National Association on Mental uh, Illness. And he was saying that, um, people n- always want to blame violence on the mentally ill, and the percentage of the mentally ill who actually commit crimes is the same as people who are not mentally ill. So, is it really a mental illness that brings about violence, or is it trauma from war, or is it privilege, or is it devaluing a human life? It, but it's funny that people always want to blame it on, on, on medicine or on people having mental health problems when in reality um, they're pretty um, 
mentally stable to be able to orchestrate these massacres? Well, I, I have to say, I think there's some people that are, you know, are very violent prone and have become more that way. I would say probably some of them using, it'd be interesting to do a study. How many of them have been, what kind of medications are they using? Like this man in Texas, what kind of medications has, has he been using? You know, have, have they, has he, has he been using medication of some kind? He sounds like he's got problems, you know, he's had a, lot, a history of problems. And that's, you know, I've often wondered, I, I didn't mean just to say it was mentally ill people, although I, I'd question anybody's sanity that would want to go shoot people like, you know, most of these shootings have been done, you know. Now, that one, you know, I just think there's some kind of, there's a lot of built-up anger it may be caused by the use of certain drugs. I could see that. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to make, I don't want to just blame mentally ill people, but you know, I, I do think a lot of the people that are doing it are not quite, no, are not exactly normal. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can see some type of obsessiveness or some type of uh, paranoia bringing about some these type of, especially with people who do racially motivated um, crimes, because it's kind of like. Uh, people have tried to psychoanalyze Hitler, like what made him so paranoid about certain minorities and why he was so threatened by them. And you see the the types of, of supremacists w where they would go hurt people from a particular religion or race because of this unnatural fear of the other. Um, in this case, go ahead. Yes, yeah, sir. I think that makes sense. But in this case, it had the, the, there's the idea that maybe there was something to do with the the suspect being rejected by one of the girls in his school. And when the Columbine uh, massacre happened, they were saying that it was because of bullying. And it's just, you know, it's always interesting. They try to throw the blame around and like, how many of us have been bullied and we don't turn into those type of psychopaths? So it's just a, a very sad thing that um, they still haven't been able to find the cause of why it's so common. But to me, it really feels like it's almost like a Wild West mentality where if uh, if people have access to weapons and they know how to use them and they know how to inflict a lot of damage then what is that going to do like it's going to turn everybody else paranoid as well and then there's going to be shootouts all the time for people trying to protect themselves or trying to attack others it just seems that um, law enforcement is not a deterrent like it used to be well there is just i know um... I do know a case personally of a man in the Nashville area who, in fact, I, I was asked to take him to a wedding one time. This man had a preoccupation with guns. Uh, he was from a rough part of Nashville called, the, used to be called The Nation. It was a very rough part of the city of Nashville he came from. And he, well, I, we, we went back to his house that night and he showed us I, after the wedding, and he showed us all these guns he had, 
and some knives and other weapons. We didn't. Now he's never used them, but he's got them just hanging around his house. He's crippled. He's bad. He's crippled. He gets by on a walker. But I talked to another friend of mine who grew up with him, and his nickname was Willie. And he said Willie used to get beat up a lot in school. This was a rough neighborhood in Nashville. And I said, do you think that's why he, when he got older, he started getting real preoccupied with guns because nobody was going to bully him anymore. Now, he did serve in the U.S. Air Force. He was a veteran. He, in fact, that's where he got his service injury. But I, I've always wondered about Willie. When I went over to his house once or twice, and this friend of mine wanted to go over and see him. He talked about guns all the time. And I don't think, I've never heard known if he did anything violent, but boy, he sure had him around. And I worked with a guy in Volk Rehab one time who was a handicapped person too, and he had a real interest in guns. And I noticed he was a small man, and he may have been beat up a lot when he was a kid, but, you know, he kept telling me how many guns he had. And I wondered if that was maybe some kind of protective instinct he had. You know, he was going to reach, nobody was going to bully him now because he had a gun. Have you ever met people like that? I have, you know, a few times. Yeah, it just seems that that um, they use the Second Amendment as like a, a shield um, for this obsession or this type of, a hobby and again there's nothing wrong with having a hobby there's nothing wrong with being interested in in warfare or military history or things like that but um there should be like a you know if you have more than i don't know 10 guns is that a sign of someone who's who's obsessed with it or i think sometimes it could be you know uh in one of the TV shows about um, dealing with social issues, they show how someone can even buy a tank in the U.S. If you have enough money, uh, you can get access to even major weapons of that kind. And, and the guy was using it for uh, shooting practice and he was renting it out. But it's just interesting that I don't know if too many countries other than the ones that are in chaos with no real political authority or a stable government where you can have access to that many uh, weapons of, of warfare. And, and on one hand, it's, it's interesting because I guess it creates a, a counterbalance against uh, the government where you have people who can defend themselves or who can um, be able to... Um, to withstand an invasion um, on their own. I guess they could build a, a militia or something like that. But on the other hand, it seems like it's, uh, it's gotten out of hand the ability for people to have an arsenal. And again, there could be a thousand people who are very responsible and careful with their weapons, but it takes one person who, who's unstable to really uh, destroy that that right that people have. You know, when I always think about the case in Charleston, because that was very close to me, you know, I remember following it on TV. And 
I remember, you know, this this young man went in the with the idea of killing people. He was racialist motivated, and you know, he just announced. You know, he went to a Sunday uh, to a Bible study, and after it was over, he announced he was going to kill everybody in the room, but wanted to know why he did it. It was very racialist motivated at that time, and you know, it was it was a horrible thing. That's the that's the one. That one and the Connecticut shootings were the first two that really struck me hard. You know, was those two. Uh, the woman lost her son up in Connecticut, and the uh, the Charleston shooting of those poor people. We our church was people in our church. We talked about it. How how you know we we, we had a we had a we it was just a it struck our churches very hard. I remember that talking about it the next Sunday. You know what happened, you know, and it was, oh, it's, I don't know, but I think, you know, if you, but there are people that are just, you just don't know. I mean, there was a case over in Arkansas a number of years ago where two boys decided to run away from home and on the way by, they stopped in a school and killed, shot girls they didn't like, and they shot a teacher. She, she was a hero. She was a mother. It's what just had a newborn baby, was just less than a month, two months old. She tried to protect the girl and was killed. And I think about, you know, I just think about these people. Nobody suspected it. I felt sorry. I felt sorry, of course, for the victims, but also felt sorry for some of the family because I don't think they knew the son was that sick. You know, what? that boy was that sick. He was very sick, you know. That was in Arkansas just a number of years ago. But it seems like they're increasing and they're scary. To me, they are very scary. Well, within the last year here in Texas, we had uh, another shooting at a church in, uh, close to Austin. And it just seems like nothing is sacred anymore. Movie theaters are not sacred. Churches, uh, schools. Like, it, it's, for me, it's become kind of scary to go to a public event. You know, you have concerts being shot at with machine guns. You have, uh, before people were scared with terrorist attacks, now it's like homegrown terrorists or, or uh, shooters that they can pop up anywhere. And I, I remember, you know, I wasn't in the U.S. or born when they had that sniper in uh, in the tower of um, University of Texas. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's uh, wild that, People take out their frustration on strangers. Um, or they have an issue with one person and they shoot the whole church to prove a point. Uh, it's, it's really uh, disturbing. Well, this the one in... I, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hers, but I did think of Nikki Haley, that governor, so did, did act about as effective as she could. I'm not a big fan of hers politically, but... I thought she tried to, although, you know, there's something interesting about her. You know, she was ethnically a Sikh from India. You know, family was from India. Did you know a few years, just a year or two earlier in Wisconsin, some fanatic walked into a Sikh temple in Wisconsin and killed about eight people, mostly women. Do you remember that? Yes, I always wonder about how how it affected her and her family. I wondered when I saw her. I said she must have been affected by that. She did try to keep things calm, and 
she took some action. And as I said, I'm not a big fan of hers politically, but, uh, you know, I'm glad I was kind of, she seemed to show some leadership at that point. But uh, it's a it's a terrible thing when these, uh, you know, we, we see these things happening and, oh, I'm, our, to be, my little church in Tennessee where I attend church every Sunday, they've got a man, they've got a couple of people that work carry guns every Sunday to church as guards. You don't know who, the, I know who they are, but, you know, and they, and some churches kind of, when the service, just as the service starts, you can only go in one way and, you know, they've got, they've got some guards on duty there. That's really sad. You know what? That is really sad. Well, that's that's in, interesting to find out because um, there's been a debate in the Jewish community for congregants to be armed. You know, you're not supposed to carry a weapon on the Sabbath, but there's been instances where people will attack you while you're praying or worshiping. And I didn't know that the Christians, or in especially uh, liberal Protestant groups, would be interested in doing the same. Uh, you know, sometimes they hire a security officer or a police officer, but to have actual members be guarding for for safety seems to be um, a sign of the times that that now uh, you can't even be safe at church. Well, I remember I lived in Memphis for a number of years. I, by the way, I studied. You might find this is I studied under a. A reform rabbi. He was now the head rabbi of Memphis. And uh, when I was studying, when I remember, we went. I went to a meeting at the Jewish Community Center once. They had armed guards. Uh, well, one of the largest security companies in the country at that time was was the Jewish owned. And but uh, they had armed. Now he didn't have he, had, he didn't have armed guards, but they had some armed guards out there as people came in, just looking. You know, as this was a, a large Jewish community center in Memphis, I was there for the, for we were, I was part of a group that we worshiped in different houses of worship. And, you know, it's, to me, that's, uh, that's sad when anybody's, you know, has to do it. In the city of Memphis, they've even got a couple of police officers who are Muslims, and they guard, they guard, there's a few mosques in Memphis, they guard mosques. At times, because there's, they always worry about you know violence against them. You know, after 9/11, Mayor Harrington, there were five mosques in Memphis. He put out special guards on all of them. You know, they were, they were worried about after 9/11. You know what? Somebody might get carried away and want to quote get revenge. You know how that goes. And uh, they, but they've had guard. They've had to put out guards at different houses of worship. You know that I know about. But I think that's awful. That that has, I don't know. It's a we live in a different culture now. Well, let me ask you this. Um, you know, I've been away from Tennessee for a year, but when I heard about the shooter who who went in naked into the Waffle House in in Nashville, I was worried because I have friends from uh, Radio Free Nashville that that frequent those type of places, and that um, uh, it just um, it was striking to find out that this uh, suspect broke into the White House and wanted to have a meeting with uh, President Obama or, or Trump in the last uh, couple of years, and that they let him go 
and they returned his weapons to his dad, and then his dad gave them back to him, and then he went and shot a bunch of people. It just seemed like when people talk about white privilege, it feels like sometimes they're exaggerating or they're uh, being racist on their own, trying to um, portray all white people as, as bad. But in this instance, to have the FBI release a mentally ill person who had intentions of using or carrying weapons uh, in the White House and then for this person to actually hurt people in Nashville, uh, if that person would have been from a different race or a different uh, religious background, they would be incarcerated for life. They would be uh, possibly even tortured. How is it that, that they were willing to do something so foolish to someone that, that was clearly unstable? Well, that's true. And just because a person belongs to a religious group that's not particularly popular in our society doesn't mean they're all potential criminals. You know what I mean? Some of them I don't agree with, but I don't know. We've had, when I lived in Nash, in Memphis, I've lived in Memphis and Nashville, as well as Wichita, Kansas, uh, in the last 20 years. And I remember certain places you would go, you know, you might see things people you didn't you know, that worried you, but uh, but it was interesting, you know, but it's scary. It's very scary, and I'm always afraid somebody is going to, just one wrong person can do a lot of damage, if you know what I'm saying, you know, and they're, they're dangerous. They're just, we've had all kinds of horrible things happen to people and crimes being planted, and seems, it's just, I wish the people of goodwill would get together and try to say, is there some way, especially if it's ethnically motivated or religiously motivated, or if it's just plain mentally some way. But I do think schools and people like that should be watching much closer to certain people. I'm not, you know, I think that was terrible. What That school out in Texas, that was, my heart goes out to those people, and I'm hoping... I, I don't know the full story. You know, I just know what you probably know more about it than I do, but it's scary. It's it's a scary situation, I think. And maybe maybe we should lower our rhetoric about a lot of things, although I'm not real thrilled with President Trump's behavior. You know what I mean? It's scary. But what was your reaction when you heard about the, the shooter at the Waffle House in, in Nashville um, a couple of months ago? It was scary. I used to work. See, I used to work as a security guard. I was unarmed, and I, uh, when I was in Memphis, I used to stop off at these places and get coffee sometime at night before I went in, or sometimes when I came in. And I had other friends that were security, and they, you know, they, we had them something called. It wasn't a Waffle House. It was called CK's in Memphis. And you know, I never worried about people coming in and shooting somebody. We didn't even think about that. But nowadays, I'd be very hesitant to stop at night very much. I remember I got, you know, when I understand Andrew, this friend of mine who was a security guard, we would look at Tiger Marts. You remember where those are? They're owned by Exxon. And we'd like to see if there were police cars parked there. We'd pull into those. I'd pull into those places if I needed to get some gas or get a cup of coffee or something to stay awake because I wanted to be where policemen were. 
you, you understand why. <laughs> Late at night. It's scary. And I've lived in Memphis, and, you know, you have to be, but I, I, it could happen anywhere. It could happen in a relatively, quote, safe area. I, I was an alumni, one of the, I'm an alumni of Belmont University in Nashville. One of the girls that was killed in that, in that Waffle House was, was supposed to be graduating that year. You know, she was, a, she was about to graduate from Belmont. She played basketball. So I don't know why she was in there. But, you know, that was awful what happened to her, you know. Said that was a real, real shock to Belmont University that, you know, she was a student there. She may have been working there somewhere. But, uh, you know, these kind of things happened. Oh, boy. But it was a, it, it just made me sick when I read about it. I do think the young man that risk his, took a risk and was able to take on that guy with the gun, I'm glad he did that. I mean... That took an act of courage, you know what I'm saying, to do it. To, you know, but it's they're trying to raise money to help the victims of that shooting. But uh, I don't know if it was racially motivated or not. A lot of the guards, the people that were shot, were black. But it could have been. I don't know. Well, let me ask you, since we're talking about Memphis, um, when I was in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, uh, I heard a rumor from from one of the people who used to live in Memphis that. Um, that it was, um, they felt like some type of counter-racism happening in Memphis where um, certain minorities were targeting uh, whites and that that made that person move to Lawrenceburg and, and be around his kind. Did you ever see racially motivated uh, violence or heard of that type of stuff happening in Memphis that it was actually from... Um, what people usually would think of the oppressed minorities, uh, you know, take, taking it out on. Well, sometimes it was, it wasn't. Um, I, I'm not so sure. See, I worked at a security company and I was one of the, I was in the minority. I was white doing it won some places I worked. I got along with most of the people I worked with who were black, but, and you know, I, I gave one of them rides home sometime, and one of them gave me rides home, and I got to be good friends with some. But they were having the same problem. I know Andrew, well, I shouldn't mention his name. He was a good friend of mine. We were co-workers together, and he told me, you know, he had to watch out at night when he was driving, you know, where he parked, you know, driving home. If he wanted to stop and get a cup of coffee before he got all the way home, you know, because he was tired. And I remember... I think sometimes it's overgrown a little bit, although there are people, there are white people that just instinctively think that way. But there were certain parts of town I did try to avoid at night, you know, I, for, for various reasons. I didn't go into certain areas at night, which were housing projects, things like that. But I did do it. Did I assume everybody black was my natural enemy? I didn't. You know, because I, I worked for the few. I never had that much trouble as such. But, you know, it, it it's there, you know. Because that's the thing that people don't don't think about is, like, they they don't think about, like, every neighborhood that is poor might have criminal activity or they might have some type of gang. And it could be a poor white neighborhood or a trailer park that has some type of biker gang or... Uh, um, 
neo neo Nazi gang or or it could be a black gang. Like they just assume that because they're poor or because they're from a different race that suddenly they're gonna attack you, but they might attack anybody that passes through who's an outsider or who's even part of that neighborhood. Well, true. That's true. That's that is something true. Memphis is an unusual city in that there are some there's some hopeful signs in Memphis, but there are places where, you know, race is there, but it's not just blacks that feel it. There are whites that feel that way. And I've had them tell me stuff, you know, and sometimes it sounds silly, but they're, you know, at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to be cautious. I, like I didn't do a lot of things at night, real late at night because of that. You know, you had to, you didn't know who was out there. You know, I did my shopping in the daytime. You know what I mean? Like going to Kroger's or to Walmart or something like that. I usually shopped in the daytime, you know, and, but it could be, it could be dangerous. You know, it's, but that's true anywhere. One of the things that was interesting to me is Memphis is an unusual city. Uh, this might surprise you. Tennessee has two congressmen. Did you know the congressman from District 9 happens to be white? He's Jewish. Steve Cohen. Okay, and, the, and which part of Tennessee is that? That's a, that's District 9. That covers which parts of Tennessee? It covers most of Memphis. I just thought that's always kind of unusual that Steve is, you know, lives in what they call Midtown, and Steve, you know, gets along with a lot of people. Although he has his, you know, people complain, but Steve, Steve has an interesting, you can look him up on the, you know, on Politics One. He, he kind of, a, a lot of blacks feel like he represents them, but, you know, he looks out for people. He is, uh, but, you know, I know there are people that, you know, think that they should, should be a black congressman, but a lot of them don't have it against Steve particularly because he's been a state senator. He's a pretty decent guy. But, you know, that's just kind of ironic that Steve is, he's been there for quite a, since 19, 2006. So I suspect he'll be there until he wants to retire. But he's, he's in the 70s now, early 70s. So that may come up pretty soon. Memphis is just a different city in a lot of ways. That's all I can say. And for those who are, who are not aware, there's actually, uh, throughout the year, there's been a lot of tension between the African-American community and the Jewish community. Um, and it's mostly had to do with the civil rights movement, where a lot of the, the first uh, white people who were involved in the civil rights movement were Jewish. And they were seen as outsiders because they were white, but they were, they were um, involved because they had a stake in the game with being mistreated or not have access to certain things uh here in houston we have a neighborhood where they wouldn't allow black people to buy or jewish people and um so but then it became this thing where if you have liberal rich jews who are involved in in black organizations they felt that it was kind of a savior complex where they were trying to tell the black people what to do so then they, they started funneling them out, but they still uh, appreciated their financial support. And then lately there's been a huge divide between the Israel-Palestine uh, issue where 
um, automatically a lot of members of the African-American community assume that it's a racial conflict and that there's the white Jews who are taking the land of the dark-skinned Palestinians and it's a very complicated issue and there's way many more layers than that and there's even you know in every culture there's racism of one kind or another where the lighter skinned um, Arabs are, are mean to the darker ones or the same in India same in uh, even African-American culture in the in New Orleans uh, in Mexico I can tell for myself that there's racism from the Spaniards versus the mestizos and the indigenous. So uh, to assume that it's a race, racial issue uh, is kind of very naive. But there's other issues, uh, religious, territorial, and all kinds of things. So, um, you know, even today when I went to vote, um, I it's a, it's a diverse area where I went to vote. But uh, if you... If you dress like a Jew or you look Jewish, I wonder how some people feel. Like, do they feel like you're part of the empire? You're part of the people who are oppressing the Palestinians, or are you just another person from the many cultures that exist? So, so, so it's interesting that things have shifted, and that the more assimilated the Jewish community has become, e either the more um, privilege and also, um, even racist or prejudicial towards minorities they, they have become, or they're still sticking out and, and being singled out for being from a different faith. So, uh, so again, like every other issue, there's many layers to it. But um, So it's interesting for that you note that, that a Jewish representative in a mostly African-American community, and that they, they're perfectly fine with that. And... And there is a connection between black evangelicals and the Jewish community that a lot of people uh, forget. Um, just like there, there's a connection with white evangelicals in the Jewish community. Well, this has been kind of an interesting time because, yeah, I, I haven't lived in Memphis. I saw some of this and I saw it in other cities. Of, and I happen to be, you know, around a number of Jewish people or black people who had families had worked for Jewish families. And sometimes they had very good feelings about Jewish people. You know what I mean? And, uh, it was interesting. I remember talking to a gentleman who was from, you know, he went to seminary. I went to a seminary in Memphis, by the way. And, uh, it was interesting. That's where I studied under, I took a, one of my teachers was a rabbi and um, but it was interesting the uh, it was just interesting that you know we don't know how people sometimes feel about different you know different locations and different centers i was i had some i don't know if you ever saw the movie driving miss daisy yes i remember it came out when i was like 9 years old it's an interesting movie because it sort of shows and I remember, I can remember in parts of Memphis where there was an older Jewish population one day eating in a pizza hut. In walks a Jewish woman and a black lady who's probably her maid, and they're eating out together at Pizza Hut. <laughs> you know, things like that. You'd, you could notice that, you know. And uh, 
I knew I knew some Jewish people, of course, and some of the other and other people, and it was some interesting interesting associations you'd run you'd see. And uh, but now Steve still lives in he lives in Midtown. He has a home there. He's single. Uh, he is a he's, he's a pretty interesting character himself. You know, he's got he he balances off a lot of things. But I don't know. It's that uh, that is kind of a funny. You know, it's ironic. Last night I was in a I was in Memphis in Florence, Alabama. You know, you know about the synagogue there, the Reform Synagogue in Florence, Alabama. You may have been there. I don't know, but uh, it's it's interesting there. There's a Jew, there's a visible Jewish population, and it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting to be in Florence, and you know, I met a couple of the Democratic nominees for state office statewide. They're having a hard time. The Democrats are having a tougher time there. And it's like in Alabama, they happen to be Jewish. It's kind of interesting. Mister Siegelman is uh, running for Attorney General as a Democrat. But uh, he's a he's a cool guy. But I like him. But uh, it's uh, I don't know. That's that's something we live with. Uh, I I don't I don't know. It's it's just part of life. Of course, now with the Hispanic community here, it adds to the mixture and to the confusion. Sometimes, you know. Well, let me ask you as we finish up. Um, have you seen a change or? Some type of um, disappointment or realization that Trump was selling a lot of uh, bluffing and smoke and mirrors to his followers. Ha- have your friends who are Trump supporters in Lawrenceburg have they uh, acquiesced to the reality that he wasn't really speaking for them, or are they still gun ho? supporting him no matter what he does and how much he disappoints them. Some of them are just like the ones you described. They're, they, they, they still think he, they still have a lot of hope in him. And then there, but there are people that are looking and that's why I see among people that are Democrats a little more, you know, they're willing to stand up, especially certain groups and say, no, we've got to look this over. And, you know, it, I think, I wish I could say it was people were waking up, but some people, he's just, you know, the man, I, he gets away with a lot of stuff. He says a lot of stuff that's just absolutely foolish, but he gets away with it. But I don't know how much longer that will last. I think, you know, it's going to catch up with him eventually. I just hope there's not much. He worries me about going into getting into some kind of war, you know. And he's got some dangerous people around him, and that's very scary to me. You know, I'm I'm very I'm I'm just scared. I'm, that worries me a lot. You know, to be honest about it. But uh, but at the same time, I try not to let myself just go around hating him all the time. You know what I mean? Well, that's the thing. It was seemed like in the last year has been nonstop. Trump like it was before he got elected and it's just an obsession with him and what he's doing and who's he talking to and and now that's now it's turning into anger or disappointment or like but uh there's still 
he gets so much attention and so much um and where it really is that people can't keep up with with the stuff that he says because it's outrageous all the time but um we hope that uh we hope that um you know the truth will come out and people will will see the reality and and stop uh, romanticizing uh, his rhetoric because when it all comes down to it, it's just rhetoric like you can say that you're going to help people you can claim all these things but are you actually going to do it um and i was afraid that a lot of the democrats have been playing that game too where they'll just say the right things to get elected and then they do whatever they want um so that's that's the problem i had with the clintons and be honest about it both of the bill and hillary they, I was not thrilled with either one of them. I'll be honest with it. You know, I, I voted for Clinton Bill the first time, and he disappointed me on some of the, you know, the way he was. I can't sometimes explain that to some Republicans. I said, I, what made you think I liked him? You know, I, I thought he, I, but I, oh, I, I get stuff on the internet from friends of my people on, you know, Facebook sometimes, and I get some. I get some crazy stuff sometimes, you know, just really. And but there are some people, and like I said, uh, this country's got a lot of problems, and we've got to face them. I think our, I, can, I hate to start where we are, but I don't think we have real leadership. The only thing that Trump has said, he's for some kind of prison reform. I think that would be good, but I don't know if he's the man I'd want to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do think, you know, we need to work about reforming prisons. And, but, man, I don't want, I don't know if I want that guy being the main one, you know it? <laughs> it's, it's scary. We want to thank you for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to have your wisdom being shared with our listeners. And we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch to see what happens with this Democratic um, elections and primaries, uh, especially on that side of uh, the country, but um, we will um, we'll keep seeing what developments we have, uh, especially as you being an insider with the Democratic Party. Are you still um, working with um, with the Democratic Party, or, or have you given up on them? No, I go to meetings. I'm not I'm not what you call a super activist. I do go to meetings. I try to help out where I can. I am supporting a candidate for the county state legislature and I'm supporting one of the I'll I'll support whoever the Democrats nominate for Congress and then I am going to I'm putting most of my eggs in on Mr. Bredesen because I do think I think he would be a, a decent senator you know but I think he'd probably be a one-termer maybe two but that's that's all I can say but I, I wish y'all well and all you good people in Texas or wherever they are Hope y'all have a good evening and blessings upon you. Same to you. Take care. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Mystic and the Skeptic. It's what I own, it's my life Last time I checked and looked it up, it's all mine